0: Hi, this is Tiffany and you're listening to The New Scene.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the new scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show this week, we have Mariel Loveland of Best X. Best X just put out a new LP on iodine. It's called With a Smile, and we cover everything in this conversation. Mariel's early work in Candy Hearts, a lot of the personal difficulties she had to overcome in that band. And just as a woman working in the music industry, we talk about Best X. We talk about the new record. This conversation covers everything. And that's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support The New Scene Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Follow us on Twitch at The New Scene. Our Black Friday sale is on until tonight at 11.59 p.m. Use code BF2023 at checkout and grab a shirt. There's limited quantities of the long sleeve shirt and large is sold out, so grab one soon. Reviews. We are up to 156 Apple podcast reviews. Thank you so much to everyone who has submitted a review. Open up the podcast app on your iPhone. Hit the five star button, and if you write a review, I'll read it at the end of the show during the new Scene community hour. Also, you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords dot Also, don't forget to support iodine Recordings. Horse Whip, consume and burn the LP is out now. Best X with a smile. The LP is out now. And we will hear more about that shortly when we talk to Mariel. Dead Bars, Regulars LP is out now. Rebuilder has a new video out for Hanging on the Telephone, part two. That's from their LP, Local Support. That's also out now, pick it up. There's some leftover There Were Wires posters in the Iodine store and those posters are from their reunion shows. There's very limited quantities. They're one of a kind, so pick one up while you can. Did you get a copy of the Quicksand Book? The Slip 30th Anniversary Book? Did you? I hope you did because they're all sold out now. I grabbed one, so I'm really looking forward to reading that. Join the Iodine Noise Cult and you'll get these records Stretch Armstrong, A Revolution Transmission, Rebuilder, Local Support, Garrison, Orange Island, Split, Horsewhip, Consume and Burn, Garrison, A Mile in Cold Water. And six going on seven, self-made mess. You get free shipping, you get hand-numbered OB strips, there's limited spots, so join soon. Jerome's Dream have East Coast tour dates in February. Check their page or the Iodine page for a full list of dates. And finally, Best X has two upcoming gigs. December 10th at Heaven Can Wait in New York City, and December 16th in Providence, Rhode Island at Alchemy. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Bridge Nine Records. Incendiary Device, the debut album, is out right now. Head to Bridge9.com to order the vinyl, and check out Tristan from Incendiary Device on episode 202 of this podcast. Sign up for Bridge Nine's email list. You'll get information about new releases, exclusive in-store shows and events, and promotions that go out to the email subscribers regularly. Get 20% off in the Bridge9 store with code NewScenePod. That's 20% off any order. If you are thinking of picking something up, now is the time. Do not wait one second longer. Stop by the Bridge9 record store at 282 Rantoul Street in Beverly, Massachusetts. It's open every Wednesday through Sunday, starting at 11am, and there's always special deals at the store. They've got lots of exclusive Record Store Day releases, they've got special vinyl variants pulled from the Bridge 9 vault, they've got new pressings from Defeater, No Warning, Iron Chic, those are available in the store and online. There's always something going on at that store, so you gotta check it out. For more information, head to Bridge number9.com or to the Bridge9 Instagram at Bridge9. That's Bridge-N-I-N-E. Okay. So listen, check back in with me in segment three. I'll tell you everything that's going on with me. I ended up going to see End last weekend in Brooklyn. That was awesome. We'll talk about that. We'll read some feedback from listeners. We'll cover everything. But right now, we are going to speak to Mariel Loveland of Best X. Enjoy.
0: You say to get a thicker skin.
1: We are here now with Mariel Loveland. Mariel, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Yes. Mariel, it's great to have you here. You know, there's a lot going on. Best X just put out an LP with a smile on the great iodine recordings, and you have a very long history in music before that. And uh, we're going to we're gonna hear all about that, Mariel. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing today?
0: I am fantastic. I am in a weird hotel room and it's a place I've never been before. So it's thrilling, but also it's not an interesting place, I don't think. <laughs> so Where are you? I am in York, UK. No. Yeah. That's it's late here.
1: <laughs> what yeah, I was going to say it's like what? Uh 12 or 1 something like that. 11. Wow, that is pretty late. What are you doing there?
0: Um, I followed my husband on a work trip. Oh. So, you know, pretend to be a trophy wife, except I'm just working in the hotel room, obviously.
1: <laughs> I like that. I like that. I did that before in a past relationship. Like, I went on a business trip, and she came with me, and then I got to feel all-important. It was good.
0: Yeah, I want him to have that. He he just, you know, got a new job, and that's exciting.
1: How long are you going to be there?
0: Uh, just a couple days, then going back to New York.
1: Nice. So, you said you're working. Can you actually work on, what do you, like, what kind of work are you doing there?
0: Uh, mostly podcast interviews and, Ah. uh, press stuff for the album.
1: That's gotta be exciting, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things where you spend all this time, like, with your own thoughts, making your album, and you just, like, wait for the moment that people hear it and ask you about it and you get feedback on it. And I'm finally like in that. And it's been like years kind of waiting and thinking about what would be happening right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. I, I fantasized about stuff like that because I've been in a lot of bands over the years, but it's typically a more local thing or, you know, like it breaks up before it really gets going. So, and I've done my own bands where I push everything forward and I'm like, wow, this is gonna come out and everyone's gonna like it and everyone's gonna ask me about it and it's gonna be great. But you're living that dream. You are you are doing multiple interviews based on what you told me earlier.
0: I am, I am. But you know, with the internet nowadays, everyone can sort of get the feedback they want when they release something because, you know, we have TikTok, we have Instagram, we have all of these ways to show people the stuff that we make.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And uh you know what it yeah like uh I remember I put out an album in 2017 right and it was the first time I sang in a band and the band broke up before things ever really took off but I remember one random person that I don't know messaged on Bandcamp and they were like wow I really relate to this song or this album or whatever you know living in New York City this and that and I was like you know what it's worth it all for that one comment from that one person that I don't know.
0: It is. It's like the best feeling in the world.
1: Yeah, if you can connect with somebody, now it's great to get feedback and love and support from friends and family and everyone we know, but when you're reaching people you don't even know, that's that's different because it's like, wow, like this is this is actually having an effect on somebody and they're not just being nice.
0: Yeah. Often strangers on the internet are not nice. So the fact that you know someone was is huge.
1: Oh yeah, it's a it's a minefield. You you got to watch it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're from New York, yes?
0: Um well, I'm from New Jersey. Actually, I was born in Queens. Uh lived in Long Island when I was really little, but I grew up in New Jersey. Where? Ramsey in like north the uh, north part?
1: Yes, I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh I'm mostly familiar with South Jersey cuz I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Where did you go? So up? I just lump uh Bucks County Levittown Pennsylvania ah. or Levittown Bristol Pendell yes I think my
0: dad grew up around there Yeah That's awesome South Jersey's cool
1: Oh yeah Cherry Hill Trenton you know there's there's <laughs> a lot of great places <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I'm curious how did you step into this world of music like where did you come in I mean did did punk grab you did hardcore grab you did something else grab you like what was your formative experience or experiences in music.
0: I feel like those things kidnapped me because what, <laughs> what grabbed me um, when I first, you know, got into music was, I, you know, I, I was like a little emo kid for a hot minute when I was like, you know, a preteen um, and I loved like Blink-182, Newfound Glory. But once I went into high school, I got super into like old well, it's old now. It wasn't old then. Saddle Creek Records of like um, Bright Eyes, Rilo Kiley, and, um, you know, the popular indie stuff at that time, like Death Cab for Cutie, Arcade Fire. Those things really were what made me absolutely obsessed with music. And then later on, I was, you know, writing my songs and I was like, you know, maybe I could write a song that sounds like the thermals because I liked the thermals a lot. You know, I didn't really know anything about punk music. And the thermals are a punk band, but they were always playing like in the sort of like indie shows of like the bands that I liked. And once I was like, oh, I'll write, you know, an album that sounds or like demos that sound like kind of the thermals or whatever, and mixed with the stuff that I like. Then all of a sudden, you know, I put them on the internet. And there was this whole scene of like, punk music and hardcore that just like, took hold of what I made and came to my shows and wanted like the bands wanted to play with me. And that's really how I got my start in like that actual scene. I didn't know anything about it or that it existed before then. I was deeply uncool. Um, and I always wanted to be friends with the punk kids in high school. Like I really wanted them to like me because I thought they were so cool, but they definitely didn't. (laughs) And, um, so that was validating.
1: So that's interesting. So you made music and put it out there, and that's how you kind of discovered the greater world of punk and hardcore and all that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I listened to Descendants until I was like in my 20s. And normally people find that in like high school.
1: Yeah, same here with Descendants specifically, because I, I discovered all of this music around 1998 or so, and I, I tend to not go further back than that you know, Mm -hmm. but with, with this sentence, a lot of people were pushing it on me. So I was like, okay. And I listened to that in my twenties and I did like it.
0: Yeah. I think that I, you know, I heard it so late, um, for obviously, you know, it came out in the nineties. This is well past that, uh, well past that. And I think if I were younger and I heard it, I probably wouldn't have connected with it in the same way. Those are really songs that are about adult, like adulthood, Like more mundane adulthood, which is what makes me really like them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of listened to it ironically because I I was like a big drug guy when I was young. Oh, no. So someone someone sent me the I'm Not a Loser song from Descendants, right? They like pointed that song out because, you know, he's like, uh, spend all your money on shitty coke. (laughs) So I would like listen to it ironically because that's what I was doing.
0: Oh, man. I mean, it's funny (laughs) that you were listening to it, ironically. It's not funny that you were doing a lot of cocaine. I'm so sorry for your nose.
1: Oh, you know, that is a long time ago. It's fine. (laughs) We got past that. We got past that.
0: That's fantastic.
1: So this music that you wrote and put out there, what was it? Like, was it Candy Hearts or was it before that? Was it stuff you were doing by yourself? What was it?
0: It was the first inkling of Candy Hearts. It was like demos that I had recorded Um, partially, like, in my mom's basement. Um, There was, like, a studio at school that we used also. And it was Candy Hearts, yeah.
1: So what was the configuration? Was it you and a guitar? Did you have friends helping you out?
0: Yeah, so I've always had friends helping me out. Um, With then, it was, you know, I founded it with my boyfriend at the time who was in the band with me up until... Um, long after we were dating, up until like uh all the ways you let me down, he decided he wanted to have a stable job <laughs> and not tour anymore. Um, which is understandable. Um, so I started with him and you know, we had a, a usual punk four piece, like two guitars. Um, I played rhythm, someone played bass and a drummer.
1: And you recorded some demos and put them out there and you got some good responses from it?
0: Yeah, there was this website called um ifyoumakeit.com and I don't know if it was just a east coast thing or whatever, but I started reading that site a lot because there was like once I started playing like I put I think I put the songs on MySpace originally, something like that. And you know, we played a show. Um we booked our first tour. And I, you know, expected no one to show up because I've never been on tour before. And we only had these random demos that I put on MySpace and it didn't have a lot of place. But when I went and we played, there were people coming out to our shows and singing the songs. And when I spoke to them, they geared me toward this website called If You Make It, where I found other artists that sounded, you know, similar that were of that like East Coast DIY punk scene. Um, and I begged them to put my album up for a free download on their website and they did. And then I just like watched the streams exponentially go up. It was like so thrilling. I think it was only like 5,000 streams, but that was like the most people I could ever think of at that point in my entire life. And that kind of showed me like, that's how we sort of got our stuff out there. It led to the next proper album, which was put out on a small DIY label who found us through that website. And then it like spiraled from there.
1: That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be such a validating feeling, right, for you to put the music out there. Random people you don't know are showing up to sing along on your first tour. You can watch the stream count go up in real time.
0: It's absolutely shocking. And, you know, that was of the time where like, I guess if you play the cool venues, people look at the bands that were playing there and there was like a built in local scene in these places that I just didn't know something like that existed. Because you know, I went to art school and it was very fragmented and people were really clicky and there wasn't like this openness of like, let's see who's coming to our town. It was like, don't come here if we don't know you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. That's good to hear that it's still like uh there was a scene. That's the way it should be. When I was when I was coming up, it was like that, you know, if our friends were booking a show. Uh, we would just go even if we didn't know the bands.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was like that for me in high school too. Um, Like, I mean, as much as my parents would let me out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's like the best, that's the best stuff. That's really, it's like a grassroots foundational thing where you can like build your own career based on other people's goodwill, which is just so rare, I feel like. But as you're saying, not that rare because it tangentially happened to both of us in different timelines.
1: How old are you uh, when the band first gets started? Are you in high school?
0: I was 18, 19. So like a fresh adult.
1: So you started touring like right out of high school?
0: Um, On breaks from college.
1: And this is the arts college where everyone says, don't come here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could come if they deemed you cool, but... Where was it? Uh, SUNY Purchase. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> At that age, is that something you had imagined for yourself? Like did you want to be a performer? Did you want to be in a band? Did you want to be out there performing?
0: Yes. So, I was always a poet and I wanted to be a poet. I went to school to be a poet. And when I was in high school, you know, I picked up guitar because my my twin sister um was really into Good Charlotte and wanted to play bass. And so my dad was like, oh, well, I'll buy Marielle a guitar, I'll buy, you know, Tina a bass. And um if Marielle doesn't use it, whatever, I'll use it. Um, cause my dad also plays. So my sister never really played bass. Um, but I did play guitar. Like the minute I got it, I just started pressing the strings to figure out what sounded good to try and write songs. So I always wanted my songs to be out there. It's just not something I thought was practical or something that I thought I could really do. Most of the people that I was listening to were, you know, male pop punk bands singing about hating their girlfriends or what have you. There weren't really a lot of role models for me until I started listening to Bright Eyes, where, you know, that definitely is a man singing about hating his girlfriends, but... um <laughs> I think the fact that it was so simple, like his early work was just him with a guitar that he honestly played like only okay, singing in a way that was only okay. But the words were so beautiful that I was like, all right, if I have something to say, maybe people will listen even if I'm not the most proficient musician. Um, So that really inspired me to just keep pushing forward. And then when I went to college, um, I did decide to enter the music program, um, and study songwriting. And I met obviously a lot of other people doing the same thing, which really helped sort of inspire me further.
1: Did you find that the songwriting classes helped you?
0: Yeah. Um, I think they did. I'm not sure they helped me as much as the way everyone would get together on the weekends and sort of workshop each other's songs, regardless of if they were music students or not. Um, I think that was probably the most helpful. Messing around with my friends has always been the way to learn how to songwrite. But I do think songwriting school gave me like a base of fundamentals that I can turn to when I have no inspiration, um, which make it easier to build something.
1: Yeah, you know what? I miss that. Um, I didn't finish college, but during those years... I would be with friends and we would just play all night, like all night writing songs and coming up with stuff. And that really, I mean, that really helps you like to to play a lot better.
0: I really miss that because it wasn't even on my mind at that time to like really go out there and play shows. Like the thing that I looked forward to the most was like playing my songs for my friends and seeing what they thought about it when I wrote something new. And it just feels so innocent and pure.
1: Yeah, because I I could I never even finished a whole song usually, and I, the thought of actually going out and playing a show, especially by myself, was just completely foreign. I was like, I can't do that. But if I played a song and my friend was like, hey, I'm going to steal that riff, I'd be like, no. But in my head, I'd be like, oh, that must mean it's good.
0: I totally understand that. I mean, I, I did play shows, obviously, before that in high school and stuff like with just me and a guitar, but it was way more nerve-wracking. I'm probably not that good because I was like 15. I didn't really know how to play guitar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you actually did solo shows in high school.
0: Yep. Yep. Wow. I got out there. You're brave. I, could. I, You know, now that you say that, looking back, I'm really proud of myself for doing that because I had no business being in front of anyone. <laughs> like I couldn't sing. I couldn't play. I just <laughs> had something to say. And I was like, you know what? Whoever will listen will listen. And that's kind of still how I feel now.
1: I really respect anyone who was able to do those kinds of things when they were young. It just took me a much longer time. Like, I've done one solo acoustic show in my life. I think I was 30, 31 when I did it, somewhere around there. And it did not go well. And... uh I barely, had the, I barely had the courage to do it even then. So, I mean, to be doing it in high school is just great.
0: Well, everyone said shows that didn't go well. And to be honest, I still feel the same amount of nervousness to play like a solo acoustic set now, after all of my years of like professional work in the field, as I did when I had absolutely no idea what a chord even was, and I was still somehow doing it.
1: So now you're in college. Candy Hearts is getting some traction. We're starting to play out, yes. Mhm. And you you mentioned earlier like, you know, your parents letting you out as much as they would. Were they strict?
0: Not really. Um I think it's just when you're going to a house show, um I'm not sure I would allow my teen daughter to go to some random person's house if I didn't understand um what a house show was.
1: Right. That makes sense. So by the time you're in college and like starting to tour, they're okay with that. No problems.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, they they were anxious about it. Yeah. They were anxious about, there's so many, they, when I think of, I'm anxious about it, I'm thinking of we're, we're setting up tour dates now and I'm thinking of like, like, oh, if someone else drives, what if they're a bad driver and something happens? Like, you know, there are <laughs> always those thoughts and it's like, yeah, dude, what are you going to do? Just stay home? There's
1: nothing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to live. Yeah. I mean, you could just stay home, but I, look, I love staying home by myself a lot. But even I don't do that all the time. It's it's not that fun.
0: Yeah, my my parents, I think, worked really hard to instill upon me the idea of like, if you're not going to do something because of anxiety, like don't let that be the reason. I mean, unless it's something like truly dangerous, <laughs> that's yeah. But you know, if it's something like oh, like if if we're we're playing a show and. What if we have nowhere to stay, or or what if it's not fun, or what if you know we get an fender bender, or what like th- like don't not do something for those reasons.
1: Right, we can't worry about hypothetical what ifs. We have to live. We have to.
0: Yeah, it's easier said than in actual practice, but um, yes. Yeah, so to answer your question, I did get out there, and you know I just had to be in constant contact with my mom on the phone, so she knew that I was all good.
1: So uh, Candy Hearts moves along. You guys eventually partnered uh, and put out some releases with Bridge9,
0: right? hmm Yeah. It didn't yeah. take very long, actually. I got my first job out of college. Um, I worked there, I want to say, six months. Maybe it was three before I got fired. Um,
1: what you get fired for?
0: Oh, they hated me. I signed an NDA, <laughs> though. I, they're not even a company anymore, so I don't think an NDA matters. But they hated me. Um, they were... I was running their social media and it was in that age of like, no one had a social media coordinator ever before. It was like a new field. Yeah. And they didn't understand social media. And they wanted me to spam people's Facebook pages, asking them to read articles and not in the clickbait way that's done now, where it's like, you know, you can promote things and, and you'll see it in the algorithm. It was like a weird way of like commenting on people's page. Like, I don't know. And I refused to do it. And then they fired me, but it was for their <laughs> own benefit. I don't know. Um, and then, so they fired me and I went on tour and then that was that.
1: So you got the attention of uh, bridge nine pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I got fired. I went on tour and then, um, I recorded another, like our first proper, I guess pro I say proper, but <laughs> it was definitely really <laughs> DIY, um, album called Everything's Amazing and Nobody's Happy, which was on a Louis C.K. quote, which did not age well. Um, and <laughs> um, we got signed to a small indie who put us on a tour with Man Overboard. Ah, um, uh, yes. And before that, though, we had gotten a lot of attention and stuff. And I think one day I tweeted something about how we were listening to Newfound Glory on the way to our show. And Chad from Newfound Glory reached out to me in Twitter DM and said like, "Oh, I want to, I want to help you. Like, do you have any demos?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna send this guy my demos and annoy him." Like, I thought he was just being nice, um, <laughs> you know? Because how many times does someone say, "Oh yeah, 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 send me an email," like, sure?
1: Has anyone ever done that, and then you actually send the thing, and they seem surprised or annoyed or something? That's the worst.
0: Well, that's what I thought would happen. I usually don't ever follow up because I don't want to annoy people who are just being nice. Exactly.
1: Um, I just assumed they're being nice.
0: Yeah. So I didn't send him any demos or anything. And um, he saw that we were going on tour with Man Overboard. They had just done a tour with Man Overboard. And he was like, he messaged me again, like, this is really rude. Like, how could you go on tour with my friends? You don't even tell me that you're like coming through our town. I'm trying to help you. You don't send me anything and you're Whoa. just igno- ignoring it. And I was like, Oh, you were serious. <laughs> oh, I thought I was like, I just thought you were being nice. Of course. I want to send you my demos. Of course. I want you to produce our album. Like I I don't want to make it in my mom's basement if I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, And so we worked with him. We recorded an album. He, launched an imprint on bridge nine that fizzled so it just became bridge nine helping me i mean like bridge nine basically ran the whole thing anyway and yeah so that's how it started
1: that's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. did he like produce the album too was he in the studio with you like helping out with things and all that
0: yeah so he produced our ep the best ways to disappear and mm-hmm. our LP, All the Ways You Let Me Down, um, with Paul Miner from Buzzbomb Studios. And so they were both in there working together, making things sound cool.
1: That's pretty amazing. All that happened from a random uh, tweet, huh?
0: My entire life is like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally my entire life. Like nothing happens because I try really hard for it to happen. It only happens because I like tweet something stupid or I post something and someone's like, Oh, hey.
1: (laughs) So social media has worked in your favor in those instances.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's
1: good. How was your experience at that time in the band and on Bridge Nine? Because, you know, things were a little different back in 2012, 2013, 2014. I, I wasn't as in touch with the scene, but, you know, I feel like there wasn't as many different types of people represented as there are now. Like now we have bands like Zulu and Scowl and the Iron Roses, and there's just a lot better representation across the board. Like how was your experience at that time back then?
0: Yeah, I gotta be honest. It was really hard. I feel like bridge nine in itself was always like a safe space that was so welcoming and did have, you know, other women and, so forward thinking especially for the time um so they were quite a refuge but the wider pop punk scene especially when it started gravitating toward like from DIY to like warp tour um to a more mainstream uh rock kind of direction it was frankly god awful the way that they treated women in 2012 to 2000 and I mean, still, it's it's not great, but it's a lot better than it was. Like, I can't even tell you the number. Like, every tour we went on, I just had to prepare for some sort of incident to happen because I was a woman. Like, it, usually there was someone in some band who either joked inappropriately, touched me inappropriately try like claimed me as his own and then n- none of the other guys would talk to me. Like some like weird, weird kind of shit. Um happened every tour. And if it wasn't someone in a band that I was touring with who mind you are supposed to be your colleagues, it was someone who worked at a venue or like a fan. Like it was just constant. Like to the point where sometimes I was just like forget it I'm not even coming out of the like our green room I'm not talking to anyone like when we finally did do some tours with other women I would always wonder like why don't these women hang out and you know part of me would internalize that as like some sort of misogyny like oh they're not chill they can't hang I guess this is why girls don't really go on tour but then I realized after I was um, as well-versed as they were, um, that it's because you can't win. So they just remove themselves and do their job and don't hang out. And it's very lonely and really kind of sad to just be so isolated from everyone else.
1: That's got to be really depressing because you're out there, you're doing the thing you want to be doing the most. But And I'm sure you can sense it a mile away when it's coming, when you see some guy or catch some vibe, it's like, oh God, this again. I guess I just have to go sit in the back.
0: It's crazy because maybe I'm like, I don't know. I want to think the best in people, so I didn't always see it coming. like there would be people I'm thinking I'm forming genuine connections with because we're working together, and then I would find out they make a pass at me, and then not only did i would I find out like they only want to sleep with me, I would then find out that they actually have a girlfriend at the hometown show. My friends who are women always joked that. The hometown show was the one where you have to grit your teeth and pretend you didn't see anything that happened the whole time you were there. And I, yeah. And it's really hard because I'm definitely not someone who can ever keep their mouth shut about anything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So, uh, a, a lot to deal with, a lot to deal with.
0: Yeah. And so on the new album, I wrote the song Die For You about my experience.
1: So how do you deal with that? I mean, uh, like, what did you specifically do? Did you, were you able to get advice from people? Did you mostly just hide out? Like, how do you dodge all that?
0: I would try to handle it with people directly. So say someone sent me a photo of a body part randomly that I didn't want to see, which I'm not going to lie. People don't like me because I'm like, uh, you send me that, I'm going to save it in case I need it. (laughs) Um
1: <laughs> so would it would there be any lead up or was it just picture?
0: All different kinds of ways, both ways. I uh, see.
1: Not not that one way makes it okay and one another way doesn't, but I, I'm just one curious. way I
0: think it's more understandable um, than the <laughs> other way. Um but no, it would be like a a, com- a normal conversation you would think you were having with a friend and then be like, oh guess what I'm doing? And you're like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm having a coffee. And then it'd be like a picture of a dick. And it's like, okay, cool um Whoa. please don't <laughs> like that's what do you do <laughs> all i all you would do is uh, say please don't i do remember one time i was a bit more aggressive about the don't than rather just like normally you smile and you say oh please don't i don't think it's a good idea um and just chip away pieces of your soul um <sighs> but one time this person was relentless just sending me not even pictures of their dick their butt by the way which wasn't even a bad butt but i didn't want it and i told them i was like hey like i've told you several times like don't send me pictures like this and if you do i'm gonna have to show it to everyone on the tour and lo and behold no one believes you would ever do something so uncouth as to tell people that someone's bothering you much less show them um So they sent me more and I showed the entire tour and then they made up a rumor that we slept together and that I was a slut. So I didn't do that again. I just uh, smile and say, please just don't.
1: Wow. Now, when you show it to everyone, like what, like all the bands and everybody on the tour?
0: Yeah, they thought it was funny.
1: (laughs) I'm just uh, how do you, how do you like, how do you lead into that conversation? Do you just pull it out and say like, hey,
0: so-and-so just sent me. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so so their response was to make up a rumor that you slept together and try to throw it all on, on you.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> that is uh that is not good.
0: It is not good. It is not good.
1: Do you find that things have gotten better?
0: I don't know. These people are all still successful. Um <laughs>
1: Yeah, is isn't that the worst when now I haven't experienced specifically what you're talking about but in my own life in my own ways just when like you know someone is bad and you just have to eat it and you you just watch them succeed and you're you're just kind of sitting there on your hands it's really the absolute worst feeling in the world
0: it kills me because you know you go in these tours you make friends with the people in their band who have no idea how horrible these men are behind closed doors And, you know, maybe some bands have an inkling, but those bands warn you about them. And they keep them on a tight leash when there's someone like that, even back then. Um, Now they would just kick them out of the band. Back then, those people, people knew about. But the ones who bothered me were the ones people didn't know about. And you just see, like, you're like, I can't say anything because all of these people work so hard to be here and they don't deserve what this the standard the the stuff that this person is doing like they don't deserve the heat for this
1: yeah it's 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 a bad situation cuz then the, even if you do say something in some cases you end up being the bad guy and then uh you know and some people are still protected like even now you know because people want to work with them or there's money and business involved it's a it's a whole thing
0: yeah i speak about this a lot on tiktok cuz speaking up doesn't really do it it's not really helpful like i've spoken up about things in the past um you could probably read the smear campaign on the internet um <laughs> that happened after i spoke up because that's what happens when you speak up you become a liability you become a problem all of the men who aren't sure like oh maybe like i feel like people don't understand That they don't have to worry about themselves, I guess. Like People are so afraid of being canceled now that if you're a woman who's spoken up, they're like, oh, well, what if she misinterprets what I'm doing? And they just like, or what if we have someone like that in our band and we don't know? So they just don't want to mess with you anymore because they know you're someone who will not tolerate a certain kind of treatment that they have the privilege of doing.
1: Right. So it just ends up isolating you. Yep. Did that happen to you? Yeah. After...
0: Absolutely. How
1: so? Like the, from the band or uh, no, is there still my, repercussions
0: to or No, my band's not like that at all. Uh, definitely not. But um, I think after, because after Warp Tour, I, I definitely spoke out publicly about stuff because I was so fed up at that point. It was just constant. And definitely my old manager told me that I had been blacklisted Obviously, the blacklisting must have worn off because here I am. um but you know, you always wonder because I had been getting a lot of really large tours, um really good stuff, and then after I spoke up, not really anything unless someone really, really knew me
1: so you're getting blacklisted, I guess, from promoters, and what about warp tour?
0: I think bands uh, i I don't think promoters really I don't think promoters are really tuned into. They just want to make money. Um, bands, it's its very clicky, you know? So when you say something about someone's friend, no one wants to believe it. I totally understand that. It's hard to believe that someone you love could do something that seems out of character, but these men, that's what they thrive on. They thrive on it being seeming out of character. Otherwise they wouldn't get away with it. And Warped Tour, no, I wasn't blacklisted from Warped Tour. I played um, the... Uh, Played a show, the last one. I played at the local, my local gig at the last one.
1: You said uh, your ex was in the band for a while in Candy Hearts. Yes. Now, when, when did you break up? What year?
0: Oh, I broke up with him, I think, before the band even got off its legs.
1: Oh, so he was around th- for a while.
0: Yeah, he was like my best friend. Um, he was a wonderful person. Uh,
1: was it difficult? It must have been difficult at first, right?
0: No, actually it wasn't difficult. It was truly one of those things that was like, I think we we realized we we've been working so hard on the band and all of our friends were the same and we hung out all the time. And I think, you know, I was driving and I called him one day. I'm like, Hey, like, do you remember the last time that you kissed me? And he was like, no. And I'm like, honestly, honest to God, it was like a year ago. Like you have been, like, we haven't even kissed each other in a year. Like, I don't think we're in a relationship. And he's like, I don't think we are either.
1: It was uh, the world's first mutual breakup.
0: Yeah, I never thought I'd live to see one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that so uh, that's good though. I mean, like in, in those instances where it can be mutual and people are cool, that uh, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there is some hurt of, over like, it's sad when something doesn't work out. Like, it, we really wanted it to, but it just- we were like best friends. he felt like my brother. It was <laughs> weird,
1: yeah that that's good for friendship, but not so good for a relationship, yeah, so Candy Hearts continues strong until two thousand seventeen, correct?
0: Well, we weren't really that active between two thousand sixteen and two thousand seven like that those two years I was kind of figuring out what to do, um because I did have that scandal of being honest. <laughs> About people abusing me. um, And it actually tore me up. I was just constantly harassed online. um, And it was devastating. And I would go to shows and people would harass me at the shows. And it was horrendous. Um,
1: What was the harassment about? Because you released a statement, the other person released a statement. Like, what was it? They didn't believe you or they wanted to give you a hard time? I see. And then I
0: have a mental illness and need help, which is, it gets me so mad because <laughs> editorial standards were definitely not the same back then, I guess, because yeah. you can easily confirm whether or not someone has a mental illness, especially someone who talks about what mental illnesses they do and do not have all the time online. Like I am not someone who hides my identity online. Um, so, you know, to read all of these unconfirmed things from a statement that was completely made up, like, like my own mother said I have a mental illness, and my own mother is trying to reach the publication to be like, I never said that. She doesn't have – she's not bipolar. That's And also, if she were bipolar, that doesn't make her a liar. It was just so crazy. And so, yeah, I would get harassed about, you know, being a liar to – take down someone who wasn't even an artist. They were a tour manager who, mind you, there's a reason they're no longer in the industry because it's not just me. Um, and so I didn't know what to do. I was working on demos, which frankly were not good. <laughs> um, I was talking to a lot of different labels. Lots of people had interests. Lots of people were like, do you really want to be playing pop punk in... I think one person said, Are you really going to be peddling your music to real friends fans um, in the future? Is that really what you want for yourself? Because I don't think it's working. And that did feel a little sexist. Um, And (laughs) I also was like, I don't really want to. I don't really want to be trying to convince people in this hyper masculine scene that hates me to like my songs. And I felt like my song, like the, the reason I wanted to be in this scene was to give a voice to girls who didn't have songs from written from their perspective. So I've always had a very feminine, um, sort of take on everything. It's a very feminine perspective, which, is, and it's part of the reason why with a smile it focuses so much on womanhood. Um, and I'm like, these men hate me I don't want to be here anymore, so maybe I just do something else. So I was like, all right, I'll rename the band, and we'll just try to be more pop. And then I did that. We went on one tour, and I'm like, this is not the band. It's just not. like It's not Candy Hearts. It's not the band. This is just going to be a solo thing, and we'll keep Candy Hearts separate because this is just not. It's totally different.
1: And uh, the new solo band, Best X. Yes? (laughs) Yep. So uh, what's the configuration like? Uh, I mean, do do you get other artists to, or friends to play with you live? Like, is, is it you just working on the songs? How, how does it work?
0: So for our live setup right now, I have uh, me and my bandmate, Matt Florio. Um, we both play guitar, and it's definitely more of a singer-songwriter vibe. Um, for larger shows, we bring in a drummer. You know, it's always the cost benefit of if I'm playing to 10 people, can I afford to <laughs> hire a drummer or whatever? If I'm playing to 100, probably worth it. Um, but uh, other than that, I write the songs mostly. This is kind of the same as Candy Hearts. Like I write the songs and then I go on with the producer and the producer and I fine tune them. And that's a wrap. It's kind of the, the same <laughs>
1: I see. So, um, would you say Best X is more of your vibe? Because it, obviously, it's a different band, a different sound. Is that type of sound more your speed than what you were doing before? Like, I, I assume your taste and what you're into and what you're trying um, to do has changed over the years.
0: Yeah, I felt myself changing because I really, I really miss playing, uh, punk music, a lot. Um. It was really fun to play. And I always think of ideas and I'm like, oh, maybe I should do that. But then I feel so much happier having a more well rounded project, I guess, where I'm not, I felt really stuck in a box because it wasn't just like that it was like a pop punk band. It was like a very specific pop punk band, I felt like, in a very specific scene where people expected it to conform to a specific type of sound lyrics things like that and every time i tried to break out of that um i'm sure so many artists feel that but people are always like oh their old stuff was better or whatever um but i just felt a bit like stifled creatively because i've always really while i've really liked punk music i've always just really connected with like singer songwriter indie stuff and i wasn't able to ever really fit that in as much as i wanted
1: and now you can, because you're doing it.
0: Yeah, I always honestly wanted to be in a band like the Weaker Thens, where they played punk, they played folk, it was like all all in there.
1: Yeah, I read that's your dream collaboration, right?
0: It is. The Weaker Thens are my favorite band, and I think the best band on the planet.
1: Well, here's a question for you. Have you tried tweeting him yet?
0: Is he even, I don't think he's on the internet.
1: Not on the internet.
0: I, I think I tried at one point looking up if he had a Twitter. Um... And he did not have one, at least not one that was, like, run by him or anything like that. Um, I see. But, yeah, he's so good. Probably protecting his peace. He seems like a very intelligent person. And also, Twitter is a shit show now.
1: Yeah. it's. A, it, I, I still refuse to call it X. I just still call I it Twitter.
0: It makes no sense yeah. to me.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's falling off, but, you know, I, I just kind of, like, post that week's episode and and go off on my mer- merry way. I don't uh, I don't spend <laughs> I too just, much time I there. I can't
0: go off on my merry way. I get trapped. I'm exactly the people that Elon Musk says the new algorithm has made people spend more time on the app. I it has because I get so angry and I just yell I feel like I'm on true social yelling at idiots who hate women, hate people of color, hate gay people, and idolize these weirdo conspiracy theorists who have like two people in their district. And that's why they won any sort of relevancy in um, Congress.
1: Yeah. You know what? I, I got caught up in that, um, that cycle for a little while in like the mid 2010s, you know, on Twitter and like arguing with people or like trying to clap back at politicians or all this dumb stuff. And now I've I've just completely shut off now, which I don't know if it's the most healthy or, you know, it's it works for me because I I just remove myself, live my life, and I'm nice to people, uh I do my thing and that's it. And some but sometimes, right? Sometimes you go on Twitter and it defaults you to that for you tab, you know? Yeah. And I'll I'll, I'll start scrolling through and I'll see all the like Oh, this Republican sucks. Oh, this Democrat sucks. Oh, this, that. And my I I get like this sinking, sad, sick feeling in my stomach. And then I'm like, oh wait, we don't have to do this. And I just get out.
0: Yeah. Mine is a bit more extreme than that. Mine is like women shouldn't have rights and don't have value after the age of 26. That's like something I read today. And I just I get I just get too mad. I get and it's not mad. I get scared that like how many people in the general public actually have these ideas. So like, I think, oh, I got to say something. So people reading this don't think that that's an okay thing to think. Because how many people are reading this? If I randomly got it and you can see that things, these things are so popular. You can see something that says like women should be locked in their houses. And they're o- the only thing that they should, that, that they have value for is, is birthing a child and you see something like 50,000 likes on it and you're like how many people do i encounter every single day that this is what they're secretly thinking
1: jeez i think uh i think with the uh twitter change to x that uh, everything got flipped upside down so now if you if you have a blue check that means that you're some kind of like right wing bigot weirdo person, mm-hmm. right? Because because they're paying the $8. And I, I feel like a lot of these types have uh, kind of risen to the surface on that platform since, since the switchover, from what I can tell, and it's, uh, it's not a good thing.
0: You know, Elon Musk also changed the algorithm to show you the opposite of things that you would like or things that you think under the guise of, oh, it's going to show you a more well-rounded uh, world to form your opinions in a more unbiased way but that's not why he did it. And that's also not what happens. And also it makes no sense for advertisers who want to go on and market to the opposite of who would like their product. I don't even understand that. So.
1: (laughs) Yeah. You know what? I got so many ads for, uh, uh, Tommy Chong's, uh, weed gummies or whatever. (laughs) I I had to mute it. I clicked like, I don't want to see this 17 times. And every single time I went on, I would see it. And I was like, you know what? Let's just uh, mute this. Uh, No offense, (laughs) Tommy. I love you, but I I just, I'm tired of the ad. (laughs) Well, we have Best Decks now. We are recording and putting great music out there. And we have the new LP, With a Smile. Yes? This is the debut LP. It is. So we've got to be excited about that.
0: I never thought I'd be here.
1: Right? Like, how did you feel... um, transitioning from candy hearts to best X did you ever feel like maybe you didn't want to do music or I mean was it a difficult transition getting best X going
0: there's no question that I wanted to do music but there was a the question of do I really want to not do candy hearts anymore yeah um or at least not have it be my main focus um and I thought, oh, no, I still do. I just kind of want to write different songs, which is why I kind of toyed with the idea of like, oh, we'll just rename the band something different, move away from like the weird... Because all my press at the time too was just like, when you Googled Candy Hearts, it was like front woman lies about abuse. Like it was horrible. So I'm like, if I maybe if I change the name and we can make something that's a little bit more in the wheelhouse of what I want to make, but still punk and still do the same things. And then I realized I just didn't feel connected to it in the same way it was all kind of soured and sad and made me anxious and i was like s- scared at the thought of going on tour and then being in another room with a bunch of men who i don't know which one is the bad one and like it was making me really anxious and i wanted to be somewhere in a scene that was more friendly to women um and now you know i have moved back to the fest scene you know, we played a um, uh, fest last year, which has always been like such a nice, welcoming environment and moving more into pop where women's voices are celebrated more, at least not in the top, at least outside of the top 40, because the top 40, we can get into the tiny percentage of women songwriters allowed in the top 40, <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation.
1: It's a, it's a very, very, very small space.
0: Yes. Yes. And um yeah, so I think I was nervous too cuz it's like you're abandoning success in a way where my band doesn't function any different than it used to. Where it was like it was me writing the songs then, it's me writing the songs now. I'm just coming at it with a different perspective, a lot more insight than I had when I was 19 years old. I don't feel the same as when I was 19. I feel like maybe not a different person, but someone who understands who they are. Um, as one does when they age, hopefully. Um, and I just didn't really connect to that. But yes, it is scary being a solo artist.
1: It's gotta be good though, right? Because you call the shots. Well, you kind of did before too. I always called
0: the shots. Yeah. I think previously I had been so married to the idea of looking like our band was all creatively working together all the time. And don't get me wrong, my bandmates contributed so much to so many aspects of our business just not all creative aspects yeah um and i was stuck on this idea that nobody would listen to a woman alone and i was having like flashbacks of of watching people make fun of lilith fair on the news which then came back to me when i was playing guitar backstage and a tour manager came up to me making fun of me looking like Lilith Fair. And it it really sinks in. Like no one's going to listen to a woman who doesn't have men behind her. Um, So I was afraid. And I think the older I got, the more I was like, you know what? I don't care if these people who would have made fun of me for being all Lilith Fair and uh, feminine, whatever. I don't care if they don't listen to my music. So I don't have to hide behind men. I can just make a project and take the credit that I feel like I deserve for it.
1: Yeah, that's one good thing about getting older is that you just care less about things that don't matter and you can just do what you want to do.
0: Yeah, I'm lucky that I've always sort of done that, but you know, there is a pressure of success. Yeah. And I feel like once I have the success, I'm like, "Okay, is it really worth is it worth that if it's like chipping away at you that you can't really be honest and you have to hide and you have to do all this stuff.
1: Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like you've already done it. All, all the great tours Candy Hearts did, the the records and the working with the producers and stuff, you did it all.
0: Yeah, it was great. It's always that thing, you know, me and my friends would talk about it all the time. And not just my friends in music, but my friends who, you know, achieved whatever, my friends in any field. We would always <laughs> talk like, well, okay, so we achieved what we set out to achieve as children, but like, what do we do now?
1: We start a new band.
0: Yeah, that was my <laughs> my solution. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How did you hook up with iodine? Iodine recordings.
0: Well, that was another thing. That was just one of those things. Every time I'm like, I don't know what to do. Um, maybe I'll start trying to go in this direction or do something. The universe always sends someone into my DMs. And <laughs> that was iodine.
1: So another DM interaction. What happened?
0: Another DM. Um, Casey messaged me and was like, Hey, I love your music. Do you want to make more? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs> Just like that.
0: Just like that.
1: That happened to me too. I, uh, really? I was doing a pod, this podcast was under a different name and Casey was like, Hey, what if we partnered? And what was I, the old name? Uh, the Northeast scene. Hmm. That was the name of the show for like the first year and a half before we partnered with Iodine but then he reached out and I I almost like blew it off at first because I was like I didn't even understand what that meant and uh I, <laughs> I I'm glad I followed up let's say that
0: yeah <laughs> this time I did follow up I mean but he was very upfront not just like oh send me your demos he was like no let's work together well I don't know maybe I'm just older and I took that for serious
1: no if he, <laughs> if he says that he's serious
0: well I think cuz he's a businessman I was like okay and not like a rock star Yeah. (laughs) If you were a rock star, I'd be like, all right, sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have the LP with a smile now. Yes? Yep. How do we feel about it? Are we happy? Are are the good accolades rolling in?
0: I mean, everyone always says this, but I truly think it's the best album that I've ever made. And my mom also thinks so. So that must count for at least a fraction of something.
1: (laughs) I mean, if you feel that way. That is everything, right? Because if I released something and I was like, man, this isn't as good, I would be worried.
0: Yeah, I think most of the albums that I've made have been better in the way that I wanted them to be. I mean, and that's all you can hope for as an artist is to keep getting better and better and better at expressing yourself and making things true to your vision.
1: Is there an overall theme to With a Smile or is, is it just like song by song?
0: There is an overall theme. I wanted it to be sort of a concept record about um, the pressures of womanhood, though I think there are so many universal things. It's definitely not just like a record for women. Like men will absolutely find stuff on here. Anyone of any gender, <laughs> I think, will find stuff um, that they relate to on the album. But because it is about the human experience. But I wanted to really focus through the lens of me being a woman in you know today's society And the pressures that come with that, um, specifically, um, that's why I chose the title with a smile because there's always that pressure to be pleasant and be happy and, you know, be grateful, even though you're like always held responsible for the choices of the men around you, you're disregarded, you're like all of those things that, uh, well, Olivia Rodrigo probably said it best in her new song "All American Bitch," but like those things, <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to make an album about.
1: How do you get inspiration? Does it does it come to you? Do you have to fish it out?
0: Both things, um, I think. Well, because I write songs for other people as well, um, so that is where I do a lot of the fishing. Mm. Um, when I'm writing songs with someone else, when I write songs for me, I wait patiently. <laughs> Until the inspiration comes, and I feel like you know, you can try all you want playing, uh, you know, whatever you're going to play on guitar and try and sing over it, but the thing that's going to stick is the thing that comes to you when you put down the guitar and you go outside and you take a walk around the block. Um, so while I do try to pull it out, I do recognize that that's not really the way that my songs are going to get written. (laughs)
1: I like that. I, I do that too. I uh I have to wait for the inspiration to hit me like lightning. For a long time I was working on a band and, and we couldn't agree on a name and I didn't have a concept or and it was just every week arguing about this and that and and then one day the inspiration hit me like a lightning bolt and I came back and I said, Guys, this is it and everyone agreed. So like those I think those those are the best moments, right? When it comes to you and you, you just know.
0: Yeah, I truly believe though it's about opening the neural pathways to be open to like creativity and writing and making a song, and that does require some forced work that's probably going to be garbage, but once those pathways are open, you will get the stuff randomly.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's you have to have to keep working that muscle. You know, I've sat down and. In- tooled around on guitar and said, like, okay, I guess I'm writing something and it sucks. And then the good stuff eventually comes along, like you're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the best stuff. I wrote some of this stuff on on this album, you know, in my bathtub, on my bike. <laughs> <laughs> Not often in the studio. Uh,
1: in your bathtub. So what, do you, do you have like the voice notes and you get a, a vocal melody in your head and you record it or something?
0: Yeah, I wrote actually most of, I feel like even the Candy Hearts albums and stuff. Like, if I was stuck, I would just take like a four-hour bath and just come up with a song and be an absolute prune. <laughs> I emerged.
1: <laughs> yeah, four whole hours in the tub. That uh, that's going to leave a mark.
0: It's a lot. <laughs> you know, your fingers go back to normal though.
1: <laughs> eventually, eventually. <laughs> so, what do we have coming up? I mean, is there tours? Is there more shows? What's going on?
0: We're playing a show in December in New York City. Um, I am working on some tours that I have some calls about this week to try and figure them out. Touring is so different in, you know, post-COVID. It's been more difficult than I expected. And I expressed my grievance on Facebook and everyone agrees with me. (laughs) I thought I was alone.
1: Yeah, booking things. I'm in a band again. And, not you know, first time in a while. I wasn't doing a lot of booking before, so I don't have anything to compare it to, but it seems very hard to book things now are are you finding that as well?
0: I'm finding it so hard like i I never had a problem booking anything when we booked it ourselves when we had an agent, well, definitely not when we had an agent and we we didn't even have music out, and we were able to book whatever we wanted at small clubs and I'm not finding that to be the case now, even with an agent working on it it's been a huge struggle
1: this gig you're playing in New York City, where's that?
0: um it's at a venue called Heaven Can Wait Where is that? I think it's the Lower East Side
1: Oh well, wow. I haven't heard of that one and I live here
0: it, it, I think it used to be called I think it used to be called Berlin. No, is that still Berlin? Is Berlin still Berlin? I don't I don't remember. I think it used to be called something else I see um so you probably would have heard of it. Because I did, and then I remember when it changed. Because we played there after it changed, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I was told, it was this, and I'm like, oh, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you're married now.
0: I am married.
1: When did you get married?
0: Well, technically, I eloped like a year ago, but we just had our wedding um, like three weeks ago.
1: So how do you like the married life so far?
0: I love it. I just... I don't... To publicly admit that like one of my life goals was to be married um really goes against my principles of like you know being a strong voice for women, but like i o- I just always wanted to find a partner and always wanted to get married, and I felt like I always struggled, and I know everyone struggles, um so I'm not sure how unique I was, but I would watch my family and my friends get married to like the first guy they met in high school or like their college sweetheart, and I just never found someone that I felt good enough about for that. And even the ones where I'm like, okay, we'll get married. It was like, we'll get married with an asterisk of like a thousand concessions that I was willing to make to secure a partner. And I'm just so glad that I didn't do that. (laughs) Um, That I grew up enough to sort of realize, I think the pandemic really opened my eyes to not settle for stuff because you have that fear of you're going to end up alone. You're, you know, you're going to be alone. You're too much to deal with. And then when the threat of being around people is not that they're going to hurt your heart, that they're going to kill you, um, or kill your grandma or permanently maim you with an illness, you know, it made me really reevaluate. And it turned out that being forced to be alone, I was quite happy. (laughs) Um, And it made me, I think, able to find someone that I didn't have to have a bunch of asterisks to convince myself to marry.
1: So, when you met this person, did you know pretty quickly this was it?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, I just looked at him and I was like, yeah, I can marry this guy. But I mean, how many times have I said that to myself? I'm not (laughs) sure. Um, But because, you know, I could say, like, oh, the minute I heard him speak, I was like, I'm in love with this man. And I think that I'd probably marry him if he turns out to not be a serial killer in the next, like, three months. <laughs> um, but, y- you know, you say, but this time I really feel that way. I, I, I re- The other time I didn't, but this time I really do. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do believe that. Like, each time I've thought that to myself, it has felt more than the last time.
1: Yeah. No, I, I like that. I, I find a lot of identification in what you're saying. I became single during the pandemic. I've been with myself for a long time now by choice, and I feel very comfortable with myself, which is good. But, like you're saying, Mario, like with people, there's usually a lot of asterisks, is, 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 is. that's hard to say. And, uh, I'm getting older, so sometimes I think, Wow, is this it? but i'm I'm holding out for a situation like yours. I think it's out there, and i'm I'm willing to wait.
0: I think you should hold out because for me like i I think back and I was willing to settle down with people where I was truly, truly, actually alone mm-hmm. um but not completely alone, and even worse than that, people I had to like mother and parent who just could not exist in the like I don't even understand how they were functioning adults um like people you always had to worry about if they were going to do the right thing and i am so happy to not have tied myself to anyone like that right we say now i mean in 25 years maybe i'll be sick of them (laughs) (laughs) but i really hope not
1: (laughs) it's going all right now and we're going with that
0: yeah i mean we moved in together after like i don't know what like three weeks
1: oh wow really
0: Yeah, he's the thing I like about him is that he's very decisive. He knows he's not like a lost soul just wandering around, like not knowing what's happening. He knows what he wants. um, And I think that's how he's been able to be successful in his career and in his life is he has a vision and he really manifests it.
1: I like that. I like that. Yeah, it's nice. And look, now you're over in England.
0: I am. (laughs)
1: For the next couple days.
0: Yeah, I've been here like two months. I'm I'm definitely ready to go home.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you've been there for two months, really?
0: Yeah. Uh. Well, we got married. Our wedding was here. Oh. Um. And then we went on honeymoon, which ended yesterday. And uh. Yeah. Then we're going home.
1: (laughs) That's good. That's good. Do you still live in New York City? Yep. Yeah, it's the best, right? I never get tired of it, and I've been here for eleven years now.
0: Nothing is like it.
1: Well, is there, uh, is there any, um, is there anything coming up or anything, uh, you're doing that we didn't cover here in the end that you want to plug before we wrap up?
0: Um, I always want people to just follow me on the internet. Um, on TikTok. I'm mariellemp 3 and I dive deep into music. Um, I love to analyze Songs I like on there as well as share bratty details about my songs. And um on Instagram, I'm best XNJ, despite the fact that I live in Brooklyn now.
1: Yes. We're gonna overlook the New Jersey thing. Okay. We're gonna we're <laughs> gonna let that slide. I'm sorry, I'm from a uh, Philadelphia area and we're raised to hate New Jersey for no particular reason.
0: Is that why everyone from North Jersey dislikes South Jersey? Yes. Because it's like Philly people who hate them.
1: Yes. Uh, South Jersey has been poisoned uh, by the Philadelphia spirit. So it's it's a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, thing.
0: they've also been poisoned by voting for Donald Trump largely, but <laughs> can't win them all.
1: Can't win them all. <laughs> so yeah, follow Mariel. Listen to With a Smile, the debut LP from Best X. Go back and listen to Candy Hearts if you haven't heard it. Do it all. We got to do it all. Right, Mariel?
0: Definitely. Please follow me. Do it. I'm begging you.
1: (laughs) Do it. Mariel, I mean, you've done a lot. You're doing a lot. I love it. Keep it up. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show.
0: Thank you so much for letting me rant about a lot of things. (laughs)
1: And there you have it, Mariel Loveland. Excellent, excellent conversation. Really happy for Mariel that Best X is doing well and that we have the new album, With a Smile. And great to catch up on her history too and all the great work she did in Candy Hearts. And you know, it's just, a, it was a pretty compelling conversation hearing about all the things she had to go through. I've had conversations like that with more than one woman guest. And it's just a pretty sad state of affairs, what women have to deal with and how gross and dangerous people are just protected in the industry. I, and I spoke to another person who will remain anonymous. They said similar things to Mariel, that they would speak out about injustices or speak out about things that they had personally gone through and they started getting blacklisted and it started negatively affecting the band. So they had to stop. And you know what? That's just a, that's a really sad state of affairs. I hope we can do better. But Mariel, that was a great conversation. Congrats on the new album. Thank you so much for coming on the show. So let's check in, huh? How are we doing? I'm doing great. There's a lot going on. I've got something big planned for next weekend, but I'm not going to talk about it yet because I don't want to jinx it. After it's done, after it goes well, I'll recap you next week, okay? But right now, I don't want to jinx it. So I've got that on the horizon. I caught End last weekend in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Made. Was it Brooklyn Made? I don't know. There's all, these, there's all these new venues in Brooklyn. Brooklyn Made, Brooklyn Monarch, Brooklyn this, Brooklyn... Hold on. Let me look up which one it was. I get them all confused. Okay, this was End at Brooklyn Monarch. I wasn't gonna go. My friend texted me. He's like, "Do you want to go?" And I was working on the podcast all day, and I was like, "Ah, I can't. I got to work." And then the FOMO started kicking in, and I was like, "You know what? Yes, I'm gonna go." And I didn't realize this venue is 15 minutes from my apartment, walking. So I just walked over there, and I got to tell you, End are just one of the best bands doing it right now. The new album is fantastic. I've always been a fan of the old stuff since I first saw them at Furnace Fest in 2021. Excellent, excellent band. I didn't catch any of the other bands cuz I got there late and you know, I just left after end cuz I had to come back here and work on the show. But uh really great stuff. Always love seeing them. It's the week after Thanksgiving now. You know, a while ago on the show I said a friend of mine was sick and that I thought there was going to be hard times ahead. Well, it wasn't my friend. It's my dad. He has colon cancer. He's going in for surgery tomorrow. Tuesday. Everything is supposed to be okay. He had chemotherapy. He had radiation therapy. They're going in to do surgery to take care of the rest. Apparently, the cancer has not spread. And after the operation, he's going to be okay. So, I wanted to make sure to get down to my parents' house for Thanksgiving to see him, to see my mom. My younger brother was there as well, and it was a fun time hanging out. Me and my brother played mario party and mario kart on the switch now that is a lot of fun that uh, there should be a switch at every family function let me tell you but uh great to see my parents because i haven't seen them since well father's day i think yeah father's day was the last time i was down there so sending positive thoughts and well wishes out to my dad he's gonna be okay they said he's gonna be okay so that's what i'm going with And uh, besides that, it's just uh, business as usual here at New Scene, Inc. There's a lot of good things going on in my life, a lot of exciting things to look forward to, which I will talk more about next weekend. So let's check in with the New Scene Community Hour. There's been a lot of great feedback about the Poor Cell episode, episode 201. So we had a Spotify Q&A response from DJ H. Doyle. He says, great stuff about the Poor Cell episode. Thank you, DJ H. Doyle. Yes, that was a great one. Uh, Really happy to have Poor Cell on the show. Uh, A lot of friends texted me just to say that it was a great conversation and all of that. So, awesome. I'm glad people enjoyed it. And keep those five-star reviews rolling in for Apple Podcasts. We're up to 156. We have to get to 200. We just have to. And if you write a review... I will read it during this portion of the show. We're over 200 on Spotify. We're at like 206 or something now. And if you want to keep doing those, keep doing that too, because we just got to keep going. Thank you. Thank you to everybody who has submitted a review. I really appreciate it. That helps us out in the overall podcast standings. So keep them coming. Keep them coming. Okay, so we're going to end the show with this week's musical recommendation, which is End. Their new album, The Sin of Human Frailty, is out now on Closed Casket Activities, and we're going to end the show with a clip from the title track, The Sin of Human Frailty. I will add that track to the New Scene 2023 Spotify playlist. Find the playlist on Spotify, follow it. It's got all of our guests, it's got all of my recommendations. It's a one-stop shop for all of the music associated with this year of the show. I do a new playlist every year, so you can go back and check out older ones too. All right? So that's it for this week. Now listen, listen closely. Next week, I bring you the biggest interview we have ever done on the new scene. It's an interview so big, I still can't believe I did it. And I'm very excited for you to hear it. I'll see you then.